C'è la luna mezza mare, mamma mia, mamma redare. Hello everyone, and welcome to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. I'm Gianni Russo, one of the hosts, and I'm coming live from New York City. My co-writer and author and co-host of the show, Pat Picciarelli, who wrote the famous book, Hollywood Godfather, is coming from Pennsylvania. Our young millennium, Megan Horan, She's at the Jersey Shore, and we're bringing our good friend back from Great Britain. I mean, this guy is so colorful. I don't think of all the guests, all the mobsters I've ever met. I mean, being naive sometimes in a business you don't know is how you'll succeed, because he has no fear. Sean Atwood, please. You're the best, man. What was I that? think last time we left off with me getting introduced to Sammy the Bulls people. I yeah. sat on the sofa, grabbed the guy's leg. They say I'm disrespecting their pills. I say I'm happy with my pills. And then I add a little bit. What I said to them was, look, there's plenty of room for us to coexist. I can't get enough pills to sell. Demand is so high. It's not each other we need to be afraid of. It's the cops. Since you guys started running around the raves saying you're the biggest drug barons in the history of the world, I've noticed a lot of heat. There are cars driving through the car parks, filming license plates. There are all these older guys saying they're from out of state, they want to buy pills, obviously undercover cops. You got to watch out. It's going to be the cops that get us not each other and the Spaniard was reasonable he said look appreciate the discussion today and appreciate the heads up about the cops and it seemed they left it at that but what happened was it wasn't long before my guy gets summoned uh, not summoned tricked to go to a drug deal to sell drugs in a nightclub in Scottsdale to some guys who knocked his teeth out and took all of his shit and his money and everything. And we later learned out they were, said they were working for Sammy the Bull, yeah. Well, unfortunately, Sammy did get some bad raps because they were using his, his muscle to scare people. They even, yeah. went, they even went into um, Tijuana and they tried it there. And they, they, they didn't get any success there because, you know, uh, our, our friend had that locked up. There was no way of getting out of Aguero. But um, your story is so fascinating, man. It's, uh, so, and then obviously the world fell apart. How'd that happen on you? All right, so I met a woman, fell in love a year before I got arrested and she talked me out of it. She said, look, it's so dangerous. If you quit now, you know, you won't get busted. We won't be in danger if you love me. I said, all right, and I quit. I quit. I thought the cops had to catch you with the drugs. I was naive to the statute of limitations. Oh, wow. So for a year, I'm just chilling in, an, in a nice apartment in Scottsdale with my woman. I've, I'm in college studying Spanish. I'm trading the stock market online. Get up very early on May 16, 2002 for the opening of the stock market. And then all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam on the door. And I'm thinking, is it the police? Is it people pretending to the police? Just come to rob me. Jump up, look through the people, it's blacked out. Go to the window and the whole place is surrounded. You know, the cops, the marksmen, the SWAT team, there's just no way out. I go through to the bedroom to my girlfriend. What are we gonna do? All right, we better let them in. We get halfway through the living room and then just boom the door goes right open <laughs> yeah just slams against the wall so all of a sudden then they just come in hands above your heads don't fucking move get on the ground now you see all those guns just open up in front of you and you know your life's open over in a oh, second yeah. if, if they open up so bam just drop down and then the detective who i learned was my nemesis he'd been following me for years trying to get me for years <clears throat> he hoists me up by the handcuffs he says English Sean you're a big name from the rave scene no we finally got you 
And it was all the resources. Of the, when the cops busted Sammy the Bull, I was like, great, you know, thanks for getting rid of the competition. <laughs> but, then, but then all those resources were put on me. Yeah. So that's how they called me. At that point, how long were you out of the business? I've been out of the business for about a year. But I hadn't addressed my own addiction to the lifestyle. Even though I'd stopped the trafficking, I was leaving my woman at home on the weekends and sneaking off with wild men and getting high with my party friends. I couldn't detach. I had to go deep inside myself from reading all those books, the philosophy, the psychology, later on sober, go deep inside myself and address the root causes of why I got involved in drugs and, and decided to not go back to that. And reading became the lifeblood of my rehabilitation. What, what did they charge you with? So I was charged with um, conspiracy was with a $750,000 bail bond. Um, I was the lead person in a crime syndicate, continuous criminal enterprise. So they got you on RICO uh, also. RICO, yeah, the state Arizona state equivalent of RICO. And then I had over 100 co-defendants. So they said I was responsible for all their crimes as well. Some of my co-defendants had hundreds of felonies. And um, now when I was going to the New Mexican Mafia house, like I said in part one of this podcast, what they said to me was, if you ever get pulled over leaving here and they ask to search your vehicle, you tell the cops, you they need a warrant, you're in a hurry, you just don't have time and you want to get on your way unless they have probable cause. And they said, if they really fuck with you and they start to search your vehicle and ask you to talk to them, you call this lawyer. And they gave me the name of the lawyer and that lawyer was the one we used for this case. And he became the United Front lead attorney. And he was a loophole lawyer. And I fought the case for 26 months. I was facing 200 years. They had serious drug offender status on me right away, which is 25 to life. But you were out on bail at that time, right? I asked for a bail reduction, bail bond, because they seized everything. I, I flew people from England and put money in their names in the stock market and in banks and everything, thinking I'd outsmarted the cops. The cops had a virus in my computer called the Netbus Trojan Horse, which showed them where all that money was at. So my bail was bond was set at $750,000 cash only. A year in, we went to the court and asked for a bond reduction, and the prosecutor sabotaged the hearing and the judge doubled my bond to 1.5 million cash only, which sent me to maximum security. I'd done the first year in medium. When I was finally sentenced to nine and a half years, the prosecutor accidentally put my sentence down as 34 years on the paperwork to the prison system, which sent me automatically to supermax security. Jeez. Which one? The prosecutor in um, Florence, Arizona, the prosecutor, oh, Sammy the Bull's case, 57 co-defendants, all cooperated. My case, over 100 co-defendants, four cooperated. They said me and Wildman were influencing the co-defendants, and they tried to get me away from them and put me away in these higher and higher security levels. That's you actually been Florence? Flo yeah, SMU, Florence. Yeah. How long? about three or four months before my sentence mistake 34 years my lawyer oh my took God. about three or four years to fix that three or four months and then i was sent to, to medium security and because the, because they doubled my bail bond i spent a year locked down in the maximum security madison street jail which is some of the most intense uh conditions i've ever experienced in my life i mean lockdown was eight, 10 at night was uh, lights out and cockroaches would line up in the cracks in the walls. Just about when lights are about to go out doing this little movement, as soon as the lights went out, they just flooded the room. Now you've got a choice, you could wrap a sheet around you, but this is the Sonoran Desert, 120 plus degrees. So the swamp cooler, the only time that ever worked was when the county health inspector walked through the building, then it went back to the broken setting. So you've got uh, as warm as your breath coming out of this swamp cooler. Oh, wow. So your body 
it's like a concrete oven. Your body's covered in bleeding and itching, skin skin um, sores and, and bed sores and skin infections. Looks like you spilled battery acid on your skin. So you could wrap these the sheet around you to stop the cockroaches, but you're so itchy because you've got all these bleeding skin infors, um, skin sores and, and, wow. and, and infections. It, I mean, your skin is so soggy. You're itchy. Your skin is so soggy. You scratch yourself, it's soggy from the heat and clumps of your skin just detach under your nails. You're literally being cooked. They use heat as a, as a weapon to, to, to torture the prisoners. Jeez. So you're in there, you wrap the sheet around you, keeps the cockroaches off, you start to cook, throw the sheet off you and they crawl on you all night long. And in the beginning, you know, I couldn't sleep for days and days on end. They start out tickling your feet, your legs, palms of your hand. To this day, if anyone tickles my hand, I flinch because I, I woke up so many nights and tickling my hand. They get in your mouth, nose. The favorite place of all was going in your ears to eat your earwax. It's like honey to them. I had a neighbor who was asthmatic. Jesus. He wakes up one morning out of breath, grabs his inhaler, takes a blast, shoots a live cockroach inside himself. Jesus. Starts freaking out, saying he could feel it moving around. Throws up his stomach contents, and it, it's still stuck in there, and it, it wouldn't even come out. Even the daytime, there were so many. The prisoners were doing cockroach races and gambling on the winner. <laughs> but over time, you learn to love them because they're your cellmates, and there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how many you kill. Wow. And I learned, I learned all the habits and how they communicate and how they reproduce and everything over that year I did in the, in the max security. So I guess the only solace you had was your books. Was my books and my writing. And it was, I, I, like I said, I never set out to be a writer. A guard, I asked the guard how they got away with the conditions, the dead rats in the food, the cockroaches crawling all over us, the heat, the guards murdering mentally ill prisoners. I've got videos on my YouTube channel of guards murdering mentally ill prisoners. Brian Crenshaw, partially blind shoplifter, failed to produce his ID for the evening meal. The guards pulverized him, internal injuries. He went into a coma. He died over a month later. Scott Norberg, mentally ill man wandering a neighborhood. They started to pulverize him and electrocuting him with tasers. A female guard tried to stop it stop stop his face is turning blue they pushed her off they kept beating him even after he was dead the inmates started yelling why are you still beating him he's already dead oh and the guard just could not stop beating him once they start they become like animals like a pack of animals they're just like just like you know wolf pack on this guy corpse turn blue and they can't stop beating it those cases were caught on camera Family members of the jail sued, family members of the victims of the guards sued the jail and rewarded compensation. What do you think Sheriff Joe Arpaio did to some of those guards that were found responsible in federal court for those murders? Promoted them. Yeah, absolutely. Promoted them and gave them pay rises. Oh my God. So I say to the guard, how on earth do you get away with all this stuff? And the guard said, the world has no idea what's going on in here and the public does not care about prisoners. So I've always had this, um, you know, I've got to get got to get back kind of mentality on the establishment. And um, something just clicked in my head. I thought, right, I'm going to try and show the world. So with a tiny little golf pencil sharpened on the door in Mac security, I started to write everything down. Now I can't, hand what I've written out to uh, a visitor and I can't put it in the mail because the guards can open my mail. But I was allowed to release property to my aunt who would come and visit me in Max. So Max security behind a plexiglass screen with your visitor, one hand handcuffed to the desk and the other hand you've got a plastic phone. Like when Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling first met in Silence right, of the Lambs. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Now I was allowed to bring property to visitation to release to my aunt but it had to go through the visitation officer so i hid what i wrote in legal paperwork books old letters and the first time i took it up with my property release form the guards got it on his table 
I'm talking to my aunt and I'm looking out. I think, you know, is he going to search through this and find what I've written? But the guards are trained to look for contraband, syringes, drugs, cash, that kind of stuff. He's looking through it, but, he's, you know, he's not noticing things written down as being untoward. So at the end of the visit, my aunt is leaving the building. She grabs the property from the guard. She took that stuff home, typed it up, emailed it to my family in our little town, Witness. They put it on as a blog called John's Jail Journal, obviously not in my name because the guards are murdering the prisoners. And I'm thinking, all right, who's going to read this? Maybe just my friends and family. After I was uh, moved into Supermax, I think it was, the Guardian newspaper in the UK, they ran some excerpts of what I'd been writing about living with the cockroaches. And then the BBC ran it. And it's just never ever stopped since then. The media attention to the story—it's just, it's just, it's just been going. But that then sent me on this whole new path as an author, which gave me the credibility to speaking to the schools, to the kids, and you know, I'm, I'm really happy with, with how it's turned out on the YouTube channel and everything else. How much time did you actually do? So I ended up serving six years. The lawyer—he was a loophole lawyer—and he found a loophole for. First time, non-violent drug offenders who were non-U.S. citizens. And at the sentencing hearing, when it came down to me getting this nine and a half year sentence, and my lawyer tried to assert that the loophole was going to, you know, it, nobody was going to welch on the loophole. The detective, who was my nemesis, almost got the sentencing hearing cancelled. The my family have flown 5,000 miles for this um, hearing. On a prior hearing, my dad and my sister had flown out, and that one did get cancelled. So we're thinking, all these people have flown in, it's going to get cancelled. The judge goes, right, I want to speak to you and you in my chamber or whatever. And that meant the prosecutor, my lawyer. And they hashed it out, and these were some of the longest moments of my life. And they came back. And getting sentenced to nine and a half years is one of the happiest days of my life after facing 200. Because mm. I thought I was never going to get my life back. When they first told me I was facing 200, I was about ready just to slip my wrist and just bleed out. And what stopped me from doing it was I um, wanted to say goodbye to my family and friends. And what I mean by that was I allowed seven photos of my mom, dad, girlfriend, sister, get the photos out of them. And I you know, I'm not saying this because I want pity or anything. I take responsibility for what I did. I put myself in. I deserve to go off through all this. But looking at the pictures of my mom and my sister and my family, I started crying. And I'm thinking, you know, my mom's going to get a call saying, your son's just slashed his wrist in a foreign jail cell. And I'm like, fucking hell, man. To put my mom through that, I just couldn't yeah, do it. Couldn't do I couldn't it. do it. Yeah, and that, that's what stopped me from doing it. And, so know, how did you, I mean, after... Well, enduring all of this I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you and and I'm thinking I mean this is uh, the amount of suffering over an extended period of time when you finally get out how did you begin to rebuild your life this couldn't have happened overnight after what you went through no so my parents met me at the airport in London I had to go from Arizona Department of Corrections to a deportation camp and then Connor, I was on Connor for a few days. It was mostly Mexicans, and I'm, you know, speaking to the guards for them. And then I get to LA, flying to LA, uh, UK. I've not slept in days. I'm so excited. My mom, um, my sister, and my dad are at the airport. We're all having big hugs. There's actually a clip on my YouTube channel. I look like I've come out of some Russian uh, Siberian gulag. I look like Ivan Donasovich. I've got all this stubble and I'm, I'm like shell-shocked and my eyes are all bugged, I'm all pale. And um, my mom said I was like a puppy dog falling around the house waiting for orders for the first few months. I was institutionalized. Now, one of my XC suppliers out of LA, he was a Brit and he'd been released a few years before me. So he'd already got established near London and I couldn't get a job or anything. I couldn't get any work going up north. London's like the center of this country if you want to get work going. So I contacted him and he's like, yeah, you know, just moving with me. I ended up living with him for 10 years. I only just moved out of his house last year. So by moving in with him, 
And I, I joined the karate dojo, doing all these fitness classes every night, doing yoga, doing meditation. Exercise became my drug. Fitness became my drug. Because if you're a thrill seeker and you've got an addictive personality, the shrink told me, if you're giving all that bad addiction stuff up, there's a space inside of you and you've got to put something in it. So I tried to replace the bad with positive activity. And that helped me get my mind healthy and focused. And living near London, I managed to get a literary agent and a public speaking agent. And, you know, such kind people came into my life to help me get back on my feet. Wow. What a story. I, I saw that you... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Pope. Uh, you, you've written books on Pablo Escobar? Yeah, I wrote a book on Escobar about five years ago, um, Pablo Escobar Beyond Narcos. And I, did, I was doing talks in London, and a Colombian woman came up to me and she said, look, there's so much more about Pablo in the Spanish-speaking world that you don't know. It's never been written about in the English world. As a perfectionist, then I'm thinking, right, I'm going to go on a mission. So I learned that all these people had written books that back then were only available in Spanish. So his wife, his mistress, Virginia Vallejo, the, the TV celebrity, Popeye is, is one of his main hit, hit men. Don Berner, who was there on the day of his death, and that account just blows away the, you know, saying that the National Police whacked him, which is absolutely untrue. Carlos Castaño, he was, you know, it was the Castaño brothers that headed the death squad Las Pepes, which were responsible for Pablo's um, death in the end. So reading all this stuff, how, you know, there were po politicians working with him who help it, you know, tell him to, to assassinate their political enemies. The leading candidate for the Liberal Party was the head of the Medellin cartel's political faction. All this stuff just blew my mind from the Spanish-speaking world. The head of the DAS, who said Pablo was responsible for these assassinations. That building that Pablo blew up, the head of the DAS, which is like the head of the FBI, General Maza, he's actually doing a life sentence right now for the assassination of Gilan, which he squirrely blamed on Pablo. Wow. General Maza took away the security detail because he was working for the Cali cartel, and the Cali cartel didn't want to get extradited either. So, yeah, reading all the stuff just blew my mind. So I've written a four-book series about Pablo Escobar called Pablo Escobar's Story. Long and these books are available for our listeners on Amazon? Absolutely. All my books are available worldwide on Amazon. I've written 13 books, paperbacks, um, e-books, audio books. And the one that's doing good for me now is this one behind me, which I released uh, at Christmas. It's um, Biggest Mafia in the World, Clinton, Bush, and CIA Conspiracies from the Boys on the Tracks to Jeffrey Epstein. Hashtag Clinton body count. <laughs> when did that come out? <laughs> when did that book come out? It came out in, in Christmas. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. You know, when you get into true crime and you work your way up, it ends in the political class and the CIA. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. So what kind of a reception do you get when you go to the schools to talk to students? Oh, my goodness. You know, people ask that a lot, and they say, does it work? Drugs is the great equalizer. I go in inner-city schools where these gang members look at me like, you know, who the hell's this guy? I speak at schools like Stowe School and Westminster School where royal families' kids go. By the time I get into the conditions in Sheriff Joe Arpaio's jail, they're on the edge of their seats. Yeah. I, show them, I show them slides of all the gang members, you know, to explain how you to join a gang, you got to murder someone. To join the Aryan Brotherhood, you know, if you want to, you get a swastika, SS lightning bolts, you beat someone up, collect the debt from the gang. And they're just like, wow, you know, this is hardcore. But I do, I, it's, I'm not glamorizing it. I weave in all of the consequences I suffered. My mom had a nervous breakdown. My sister had to have counseling. How with a criminal record, how hard it is to get a job. I can't travel. I've lost gigs in China, Japan, Hong Kong in the last few years. You know, they won't let me in. So, I think it's a wild man. A wild man. He's unsafe to go anywhere, especially schools. So the kids, the kids, um, how, how do I know if it's resonating or not? On my Twitter, all my Twitter likes, it's live feedback coming in from the kids. One kid, she was so inspired. 
she went on to do a criminology degree and her parents invited me to the graduation and I've had a, a meal with the parents a few times. So I never know, you know, the full effect it's having on people. But at the end of my life, I'm going to look back on all the trading I did in the stock market. Hell no. I'm going to look back at things like that. You know, this kid was so influenced. She went on to do a criminology degree. That's wild. That's incredible. Quite a life. And I want to ask you a question. I mean, fortunately, um, and, and Pat and I and Megan now, but... We're thrilled that you had me on the show. <laughs> and we talked to he, Pat, you missed the interview. I mean, he, we did almost an hour and a half straight out on his show, which um, I, I can't believe. And, Johnny, I've never spoke to someone who has just such a pleasant manner that resonates, but your stories are so hard-hitting and dark. It's just endlessly gripping. There's no lull. It's just like you're on your edge of your seat, story after story after story. I've been inundated all week long with comments and messages from people saying this is one of the best guests you've ever had. Please get him back on. I so can listen to this guy forever. And his father was calling in, asking me questions while we were on the air taping. His father, which I, I and then at the end of this, what amazed me because I didn't know, I didn't know who Sean was, and at the end of the interview. He said, you know, I, I got involved in ecstasy with Sammy the Bull. That was the last five minutes. And then I, I saw your face when I said I was a neighbor of Joe Bonanno Sr. as well. I know. Because I, I used to go there a lot. But the funniest thing, <laughs> Bill Bonanno and his, his son was friends of mine. But the interesting thing is that here I do an hour and 25 minutes with him. <laughs> Thinking he's some author from London who's interested in our book. I didn't know the guy. I mean, he did more time than I ever thought of. I remember you called me. You called me after, and you were so excited. You're like, you won't believe who this guy is. No, I mean, oh. it was insane. I, I, after, I mean, for days I was looking him up and finding who, what, where. But right. That's why I, I, I needed you to share that. And thank you, Pat and Megan, and I. Thank you for sharing that life story. That's why I didn't want to get into writing books. I mean, that's the, the you know, the uh, swan song of your life. What you did earlier on, I mean, you make the the Wolf of Wall Street look a, 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 like a, a, a faggot. I no, you can't use that word. Uh, whatever, a, a puppy. But I mean. But that's going to get us some emails. That's good. Yeah, we're going to. Well, but the bottom line, well, I'm an old school guy. But the thing is, to have you and what you live through, I think that that's the story. I mean, that, somebody's got to, who, who's, who's representing you in your life rights? Your life rights? Yeah, I've got United Agents, uh, Robert Kirby, United Agents in London. He's a good guy. And a lot of oh, people yeah. come along and blown smoke up our asses. They're going to get it to the movie level. There's discussions ongoing right now, but nobody's ever made it happen. That's Well, every time you get exhausted, let me know. Because this is definitely, especially now with streaming television, this is uh we're working on our situation fortunately right now but with this pandemic it's closed down but uh, we have nick Villalongo, who won the oscar last year for green book for best screenplay best movie he wrote the pilot already and the 10 structures for the next 10 hours we're in a bidding war that we're just trying to get over nobody knows when they're going back into production but if you, you i could i could walk you into any place you want with this story this is insanity yeah, it's like Breaking Bad because New Mexico and Arizona are next to each other and all the people that Walter White met, I met. I know. And my my life story is a trilogy. It's 30 hours of audiobook content. Oh, my God. So wow. it's, it's endless. It's endless, the stories. That, that's a five-year series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Sean, you're a relatively young man and you've got a lot of years ahead of you. In addition to what you're doing now, do you have any special plan for yourself that you've always wanted to do, and now you have the opportunity to do it? Okay, here's the thing. When I set that goal to be a millionaire by the time of age 30 in the stock market after watching Wall Street, I did it, and I put a lot of stress on myself to achieve that goal. What I do now is I just wake up with a smile on my face because there's no dead rats in the food. There's no cockroaches in the oh my bed. God, yeah. I get on the computer, see what's happening, and just get on with, you know, everything organically. And I'm happy to do that. Everything's just expanding for me naturally. 
That's so I don't right. set like I used to be like the Chinese. I've got a five-year plan. I got a ten-year plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now I don't put that pressure on myself anymore. Megan, you, imagine what you what you've been through. You have a very good outlook on life. Good for you. And what I'm doing is, I feel blessed about all the people who helped me when they got out of prison. So I've made it a mission of mine to help other fellas when they get out of prison. I know how hard it is. So through books and podcasts. I'm interviewed people, you know, my first ever podcast was a guy who did 34 years in California prison for a crime he hadn't committed. And while he was in, he learned that he'd been, as a baby, he'd been born on the Isle of Man, sold to an American family, and he wasn't even an American citizen. So they sent him straight back to London wow. after his 34 years, and he didn't even know anybody. So he had no one to help him. So I've helped prisoners, um, ex-prisoners get their books out, get their stories out, and trying to um, get them pen pals and get books sent into prisons and stuff like that. I've managed to donate 20,000 plus books as well in the last three years to school. Wow. Yeah. For our subscribers, uh, tell everybody how you can be reached, your website, your podcast, anything you have. Yeah, I mean, all my stuff is just under my name. It's Sean, S-H-A-U-N, Atwood, A-T-T, Wood. My YouTube, I interview people um, quite a lot on there. We've got regular true crime podcasts going up. And uh, my books, you know, just put my name in Amazon. They'll all come up on Amazon as well. How about social media? Yeah, I'm on all the socials, all of them, just under my name, Sean Atwood. Okay, thank you. Easy yeah, enough. Yeah. <laughs> but Megan, you represent a whole different audience for us. Um, what, what would you, what would be a question you'd want to ask him now that you've been <laughs> amazed by his life? I mean, I have been amazed. It was like those stories. I felt like I was watching a movie, you know, the visuals through my head. You're an amazing storyteller. Thank you. Questions? I don't, there's nothing off the top of my head that I have. I mean, the stories have been amazing. But I, we, we can't thank you enough. And like you made the invitation open anytime you want to come on, come on. Anytime you want to come on our show, please. I mean, you are an amazing individual. What you're doing now for mankind and uh, you know it, you survived it, and the only, and, and in a small way, and you read my our book, uh, and that five years of my survival in that mental institution is what you did in that cell. And once you got out, I mean that's why I have the attitude I have now. I'm 77. How are you going to stop me? It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's thank you so much for being our guest, and thank you for having me on your show, and. Uh, God bless you, man. And God bless yeah, you, Sean. Family. Thank you so much. You've, you've been a hell of a Thank you so much, Sean. This is amazing. Thank you, all of you guys. And if you make it to London, me and Wildman would like to have a nice meal with you. I'm time. coming. <laughs> once, once, this pandem once this pandemic, I'm coming just to come over and hang out a minute. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Good yes. night. We're going to go to the mailbag now. God bless you. All right, that's a wrap. Sean, that was amazing, man. Yeah, you're welcome. So what, what platforms would you be putting this on then? Right now, he'll tell you. No, this will be on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and then we also screen recorded this interview, so that'll be up on, I think Vimeo is the platform that we've been using. Am I okay well. to put it on my YouTube channel oh, as well? Please. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. We'll send yeah. it to you, yeah. We'll and make I'll, sure that we I'll get put, the I'll put links video into you. all your stuff so that they click over to your stuff. Yeah. Perfect. That would be great. Can I introduce you to a gentleman I think would be a, an asset to you? And uh, his, his name is Patrick Bed David. Oh, yeah, he's a friend of mine. Oh, great. I thought he had to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he interviewed me um, when oh, he came good. to London. I, ho I hooked him up with Dave Courtney and some other guests. He's, a, he's a, a major guy. He's been so generous to us. We, we've had like a million, 300-something thousand hits already. Fantastic. And he still, he still supports us. In fact, he did, he did a two-parter for us. Yeah, yeah. Like, great man. I'd be, I'd be interested in, in interviewing some mob guys who can talk. Well, uh, yeah. he's got them all. <laughs> <laughs> my, my guys yeah. are still alive, and they ain't talking to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. No, it's perfect. But thank you. 
Yeah, you're welcome. All Look right. forward to uh, sharing this when you let me know when it's up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Definitely. And thank you right. again. Appreciate it. Have a, have a good night, everybody. Thanks so much, Sean. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Good night. Well, it's time to go to the mailbag. All right. So the first one I have is from Louise. Louise says, hello, I have just listened to some of the extract of the Sam and Chuck Giancana book. And in the book, they said that Marilyn was killed with a suppository and that she wasn't in her bed. She was moved from another room in the house. How true is this? Are there a lot of different stories? And how true is that book? If you have any idea. I know nothing about the book. I know personally the doctor who administered the oxygen to her. He's done work for the mob and the government before. So, unless he's lying to me for some reason, I'm staying with my story, and I believe it. And so I, there's so many stories of O-dosing and suppositories that would be, well, I would think that would be in the autopsy, <laughs> unless yeah, it came right. out. Hello. <laughs> What's well, your version? You well, no, Pat, Pat has a, a, Pat, you must have an opinion on that. Well, you're right. There's been so many stories about how she met her end. Uh, the one uh, uh, from you, what you, you got it first or second hand. I, I, if I believe anything, I believe that that she was uh, given a, a, a hot shot of an embolism, that's the air, it. yeah, right, that's it. right, air. And uh, the only problem with an embolism is that sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Apparently, with her, it worked. Yeah. Uh, or a a a, a suppository. To, Examine that end. Pardon the pun. To examine that end of the story, uh, suppositories uh, evaporate, so you wouldn't know she got one anyway, unless they specifically looked for it. She was so okay. full of drugs. She was so full of drugs. Correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny. Oh but no, she, she was. She had a, a daily diet of drugs. For her to get high, she had to take more drugs than most people. So, the, the autopsy of her having an abundance of drugs. No problem. What <laughs> was the drug of I, you know, I don't know. I knew nothing about drugs. I was a kid, and uh, I, I don't. I don't know if she did heroin. I don't know anything. But you know, she was taking pills. So what was what was the pill in, in those days? I don't know. You're usually speed, some sort of speed. Yeah. So I mean, I, I again, I never witnessed her taking a drug in front of me. Yeah. And I, maybe not that I spent days with her. But I spend days with her. <laughs> All right. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Next is from Joe. Joe says, how is it that Meyer Lansky's ch children live in near poverty and his one son with cerebral palsy couldn't even pay his medical bills after Meyer told him he would be taken care of before he passed away? His son died shortly after Meyer did. Did the mob keep his money? Uh, there's a lot of rumors about that. I can't even talk about it because... Um, one of my closest friends till today, and I talked to him constantly, took over his position. There was a big rumor, obviously, that he transferred his fortune to Israel, and then they never sent it back, because they were sending it over there when he went to get exiled over there, and the American government made them send him back. But uh, that, that's a mystery. I, I won't even get involved in that. That's crazy. You know, because they, they, right. they were obligated to do a lot of things. Got it. All right, next is from DJ. DJ says, Patrick, as a Vietnam vet, what do you think is the best film made about Vietnam and the worst? The best is probably We Were Soldiers Once with M Mel Gibson. And and the worst are all the others. <laughs> I mean, uh, We Were Soldiers Once, it, it, it comes from a book by the colonel who... Uh, uh, was uh, at, at the Battle of the Idrang Valley. It was the first major battle of the Vietnam War. Up until that battle, it was assumed that that war was going to be a, uh, a guerrilla war with small skirmishes. Well, that that proved everybody wrong. The 2,000 North Vietnamese Army regulars against the company of uh, U.S. Army soldiers. That book was extremely accurate. Right wow. down to the weapons they carried, the characters. Nobody changed any names. It was good. It's always on television. I really? mean, it's at, at least at least once a month. The name of it is "We Were Soldiers Once." The name of the book is "We Were Soldiers Once and Young." Uh, okay. What? I've never seen that one. It's out there. 
All right. Next is from Shannon. Shannon says, I've listened to your podcast for two days straight while working. I love how candid you are about your life. My question is about the Kennedys. Do you know anything about the Chappaquiddick incident caused by Senator Edward M. Kennedy and the death of his 28-year-old passenger, Mary Jo Kopechny? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Who was trapped inside. I wonder if there's more to the story than what was shared. Well, nobody else could share it. Nobody knows it because he was there and left her there. (laughs) Here's what we know. We know that he went off the bridge with Mary Jo Kopechny, and we know that he left her underwater for 10 hours when he could have, you know, I don't say it was easy, but she wasn't in that deep of water. He just left it there because he, he didn't want his, uh, he didn't want the Kennedy name to be sullied. He was uh, going to be the, the next president or so, well, he wanted to be the next president. Right. He wanted to to be the next president Kennedy after right. his first brother died and after Robert died. He was next in line. That mm-hmm. ruined his entire career and justifiably so. He oh, just yeah. left it at Hmm. I got I got close to him later on. In fact, when I was doing any given Sunday, he was down in Florida, and I met all the kids. And you know, he's still a Kennedy, and he wanted to go to the uh, the Denver game. And my brother-in-law Pat Bolin, that was their repeat, and uh, I got him tickets on the fifty-yard line. And I see the kid right now, Ted Kennedy Jr. I guess he is is uh, works Wall Street. And he's part of the Harvard Club here. So anytime I'm invited, I see him there. In fact, he asked me when our book was coming out, Pat. He's, how are you going to treat my family? He caught me off guard. And I said, uh... That's what you said. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I started that way. I said, well, the way they should be, you're going to be proud. <laughs> <laughs> Has he spoken to you since? No. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. All right. Next one is from Jeannie. Jeannie says, hello, everyone. I still love the podcast and look forward to it every week. I'm listening to a podcast called Missing in Alaska. I think it's episode five that talks about Joe Bonanno. The story is about the congressman that went missing from a plane wreck in Alaska. Some say it was a hired hit. I figured if anyone would know, it might be Gianni. They also mentioned a Jerry Beasley. Do you know these people or what happened to the congressman? Again, I love your show. By the way, I do share, rate, and review. Great. But the, the uh, what do you think, Johnny? As far as, far as me, I know Joe, Joe Banana, son Bill, and all that. But my, my relationship with them was just basic a messenger, and they would never discuss something with like that with me. So, I, I mean, I couldn't help you there. Especially if it's a hit, they're not going to tell me, you know, we killed a guy, a senator. No. Hmm. All right. Next one is from Anthony. Anthony says, hi, everyone. Great podcast, as always. I still find myself going back to listen to my favorite ones over and over again. In different ways, you have all led very interesting and eventful lives. Forgive me if this is a little deep, but could each of you describe the best and worst days of your life? Keep up the good work. Wow. You can go first, ladies. (laughs) I don't. Truthfully, I don't think I've experienced the worst days of my life. I guess that's a lucky thing. Well, you have a great family. For me thus far. No, perfect. You know, I only have a few years under my belt. <laughs> so he wants yeah, to describe the waste, the worst days of our lives. Yeah, the best and worst. Well, the be- I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to use the best and worst with one experience in my life. When I got polio, and what I learned there, and when I got out, all that that was the best and worst because I you came out with my life, man. And here I am. And for me. I would say the best days, uh, they, they come in a pair. It was when my sons were born. Okay. okay. First day was uh, July 10th, 1966. It was a particularly bad day in Vietnam. And I'll leave it at that. All right. Okay. Okay. There we go. All right. Next one is from Nick. Nick says, hi, Gianni. I'm the actor Nick Mancuso, and I've been in the business for 40 years. I'm a friend of Joe Cortez, who I believe you know. Very much admire your work over the years. Great. You know who that is? Yeah, I know him, and I uh, Joe Cortez, I know really well. And his Cortese wife, they used to be my house guests all the time. Uh, his wife went on to big fame. He played he played Joe Bonanno in a TV movie, and he also was in Green Book. He played 
the character I suppose will be like Sinatra who came in with the hat and the missing hat and he's good friends still to today with uh, Nick Vallelonga who wrote that who basically is doing everything for us and our book to bring it to validity as a 10 hour movie series so I'm sure we'll be seeing both these actors on our set if 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 Nick has anything to say about it very good Love to hear it. All right, next is from Lewis. Lewis says, Gianni, can you talk about Anthony Salvatore Luciano Raimondi? Was Lucky Luciano really his uncle? Was he related to Frank Costello and also related to the guy you talked about from the Vatican Bank? I would like to know more about his family and story from your point of view. A lot of questions there. Yeah, there's a lot of questions, and there's no way I can confirm any one of them. (laughs) I wasn't privy to knowing their friends and family. (laughs) That's why I'm alive. That's why you're here today. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Next one is from Colmar. Colmar says, I'm very impressed with the podcast and excited to keep hearing the stories. Gianni, how is your relationship with the women actors in The Godfather, specifically Morgana King and Talia Shire? In high school, I briefly worked at a retirement home in Austin, Texas, that Morgana lived at, and I couldn't believe all of the nursing homes in all the towns in all the world she came rolling into mine. Morgana King was a great jazz singer in New York. And when Al Ruddy and, and Francis asked me if I knew an Italian Sicilian speaking lady, I said, I can only think of Morgana King. And because she was Sicilian and spoken, she played, she was a lot younger in her years, but she played Vito Corleone's wife with, through makeup. Mm-hmm. She was very good in it. And as far as Taya, Taya's just a sweetheart. We were both naive kids, first time on a set, and um, that was it. I mean, I still see Talia yet. She's still the same person as I met her, and she went on to great fame playing, you know, all the Rockies, Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, Rocky 58, you know. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, those two, even Diane, Diane Keaton, I love her. She's fun. Do you still lady. see her at all? I used to see her a lot. I mean, I used to keep a table at Il Pustaio on Cannon Drive in Beverly Hills. I used to be there three or four times a week, but Fridays I always had a table courtside outside on the corner. And she used to come by and join us for hours. But uh, I haven't been to Beverly Hills in many years now. Got it. All right, next one is from Carly. Carly says, Johnny, I'm wondering about your hand pin, the gold, la- the gold lapel pin that holds the chains on your jacket. It's beautiful and classy. I was just curious, has anyone ever asked about it in an interview? What's the story behind it? Is it a symbol, and do you wear it to be recognized? I'm so intrigued by your story. What an incredible true story and a piece of real American history. Thank you for having the courage and chance to share your life story with us. Well, thank you for being entertained by it and liking it and being observant as you are. That that pin is a pin from my great-grandfather that my grandfather gave me, and that it's a Malta. And he was a knight of Malta, from Malta to, the, the knights of Malta protect the Pope in the Vatican. And that's a 50-year-old pin, and I made a combination out of it, because I liked the, the pin, so I put a chain on it, and that actually has a watch fob at the end of it, a pocket watch. And if you observe the, cha- the chain itself, they're all diamonds, and about an inch from the Malta is diamonds in red, white, and green to represent the Italian flag. All, all my jewelry mm-hmm. is uh, unique to me because it symbolizes a time in my life. Absolutely. You have some great jewelry. That's for sure. All right, that's all we have for tonight. Well, again, another great show. Pat, till next week. Yes, sir. Megan, good job, my darling. Till next week. Uh, till next better. week. Keep those cards right. and letters coming, please. Good night. Good night, guys. Good night. Okay. All right. So that will be the end of episode 82. Is there a TV or something in the background somewhere? Maggie. Meg, lower the television.
I think it's the first rodeo. <laughs> I could hear it, and I was like, "Uh-oh, we don't, we don't need that." Do you hear All right, it now? so another, another fifteen minutes, and then we'll be done. Do you hear that now? No, no, now okay, I don't perfect. hear it. All right, so I'll just go right into it again next Please. stop by. All right, in three, two, one. All right, the first one I have is from Jimmy. Jimmy says, a longtime fan. I pre-ordered the audio version of the book way back. Thanks for a great podcast. I would love to hear if Gianni has had any encounters with or stories about Jimmy the Weasel Fraziano. Have we yeah. answered this question again? I think this comes up a lot. I don't want to leave anybody out. No, no, no. We should ask him. No, I, no, I never did. I mean, uh, once we all knew about him, we stayed very clear of him. And uh, basically, rats are rats are rat. At the time, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, wasn't he the, the highest ranking guy to flip at the time? Mm-hmm. Captain, right? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. And caused a lot of damage. A lot of guys went to jail. Yeah, he was in that infamous picture taken in the uh, the amphitheater with the uh, with uh, Frank Sinatra. No, that no, that was taken at Westbury Music. But Westbury. I was but there. Uh, uh, Fratiano's in that picture. Yep. 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 Yeah, he was there, with, and and the old man was there, Carlo Gambino himself. Yep. Yep. That's a classic mm. picture. And you know, I was told to step out. My ego, I wanted to be in that picture. Well, um, you know, looking back on it, it's a good thing you did. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that picture has uh, been presented more for, uh, in, in court as evidence. Oh, my God. I think in any picture in oh, American yeah. history. And they all went to jail. I mean, yep. a lot of the guys that, you know. Uh, Mr. Gambino. Yep. Yeah, really touched him. Yeah. And he looked at me. Gambino said to me, you don't want to be in this picture. <laughs> yeah, That's okay. Good advice. And right. he didn't Next care at that is, time. He was oh, so sorry. old. No, talk, I mean the old man was getting really up there at that time. I'm sorry to interrupt you, my dear. That's okay. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Next one is from George. George says there was an actress who claims to have known Sam Giancana, Roselli, Frank, and was a best friend of Marilyn. Her name is Jean Carmen. And she had done many interviews and wrote a book before her passing. She claims that Sam was shot by Roselli on orders from Tony Accardo. Arcada. She probably means Accardo. Tony Accardo. Because he was too public about Marilyn wiretapping her like Phyllis McGuire. There are no, no known photos of her with any of them and no testimony validating her story. Have you heard of her? Is her story factual? Her story is factual of what she knew with Marilyn. She was, she was a roommate early on. With, with Marilyn, and um, but I, I don't. I've never been in her company. And anytime I was around Marilyn, you know. So, so I like the uh, background music we have going. There. I know that was my phone going off. Everything that can go wrong. Godfather is going wrong. theme. Well, that gives us a little Ring atmosphere tone. while we're talking about Sergio. <laughs> that was some very dramatic background music. Yes. All right. <laughs> Next one is from Andre. Andre asks, is the mob still involved with honeypot operations with politicians, or is that mainly the domain of intelligence agencies nowadays? I, I couldn't yes, answer that. But, Pat, uh, you, you, can, you, you can say it. Yeah, honeypot uh, operations is a term used to ensnare people for the purposes of blackmail. You, 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 you hook up a uh, married politician, a celebrity, or somebody who you want to extort with a woman and you video it uh and in the in the uh, instance of the cia they use it to uh entrap and ensnare uh uh people from the other side soviet uh, uh politicians and to get them over to our side honeypot operations i would assume will go on in the intelligence world but i don't think the, the mob ever got involved in any of that uh gianni I, I don't. I mean, that's why. What do you think? I, I don't think so. But you would know better as far as politicians and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, you, you do that, uh, or intelligence services do it for long-term uh, operatives that can that can pass on information for years because if they're exposed, particularly if it's a homosexual uh, liaison 
uh, people don't want this exposed, and I'll keep passing along information forever, and the intelligence services don't have to pay them for it. They just hold us over their heads. Hmm. Hmm. I'm wondering if this gentleman is uh, in the in police force in any way or any kind of service like that. Well, then he, he wouldn't have asked the question. Really? <laughs> well, he would know. I never heard of that that term, though. Honeypot? Yeah. It's a, primarily the uh, the venue of uh, intelligence services. That's 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 who originated the term. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Next is from Joshua. Joshua says, firstly, I have to say thank you all very much for an amazing podcast. I have not been able to go a day without an episode and always look forward to the next one. My question is for Gianni. How did your crew take to what Pablo had done? Did they want revenge? Were they grateful it didn't spill further into the entire crew? What crew? I am no crew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, wait a minute, who's this kid talking about? My crew. But, but kid, he, he had a crew cut. Yeah. No, but uh, no, I had no crew, and I went and avenged what I needed to do and stop a massacre to my children. So when I got back, everybody was just happy to see me that I got back, other than John Gotti. But uh, no, I, I'm, to me, it worked out it worked out perfect for me. Yeah. Crew. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Crew. Well, to go on, he said a very sweet message. He said, also, Gianni, what a life. I have to say that I have taken very heavily to you. Your charisma, charm, cadence, and laugh like my granddad. And I've taken it upon myself to see you as a father figure slash role model. Oh. To still smile after all you went through in your young years is inspiring. Thank you all again, Josh, from Sydney, Australia. Oh, that's great. Oh, Thank you. From Very Sydney, nice Australia. That's great. I take that as a compliment, Josh. Absolutely. All right. Next one is from James. James says, hi, everyone. Thank you for reading out my question a few months back. It brought a smile to my face, and now I'm back with another question. What is everyone's favorite film to watch? I think Pat has already mentioned his as the Godfather in a previous episode. Loving yes. the show as always, an episode purely on Sinatra would be a dream. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we should do that. So uh, what's your favorite movie, Gianni? My favorite movie? I, I really don't know, man. I mean, it's, uh, uh, well, you know, I'm very partial to Godfather 1 because it changed my life. So, I mean, if I had to pick a movie that is something I'd watch constantly, and I haven't watched God, The Godfather constantly, it just means so much to me. And everything that I do, I mean, our products, and and I'm, I'm looking forward to February 12, 2022. It just doesn't stop. That's 50 years of, of this career. So, I yeah. mean, I, I have to say that the accolade from that has been... I'm, I'm never an ungiving situation, so it would have to be the Godfather. And uh, maybe... yours, yours too? Oh, absolutely. I, I watched it two weeks ago. <laughs> I'm always seeing something different in it, if, if that makes any sense. The yeah. nuances, and I think, I don't know what portion of that uh, film was ad-libbed, but I seem to think that some of those lines were ad-libbed in that movie. I can just feel it. Yeah, it gave you the freedom. <laughs> That's why it's, yeah. it seems so conversational and not red. Yeah, yeah exactly. And how about you, Megan? Yeah, what's your favorite movie? It's so hard to pick one specifically. I'm a very sentimental person, so my favorites of things are usually because they've meant something to me over the years. So my favorite childhood movie was The Sound of Music. So that's still... I knew that was... Why did I think that? <laughs> you knew that about me already. And then I love... Um, the Silence of the Lambs, Six wow. Cents are two of my favorites. You go from Mary then... Poppins to Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> There's a variety. <laughs> Rocky, and then just because you know they're special to me for different reasons, oh, and then good. of course the Godfather's on the list. Absolutely, how could it not be? Okay. It's on everybody's list. All right, yeah. that was a good question. Yeah, it was absolutely. All right, next is from Lori. Lori says. My question for you, Gianni, today is what do you know about the stories you have heard of Al Capone and his trips to northern central Wisconsin and his famous hideout in northwest Wisconsin? How many bodies do you think are in the lake that's behind his fa 
famous hideout in Wisconsin. And he, in addition, do you think he stopped along the way to his hideout? I mean, I'd have to be his driver to answer that question. <laughs> I, 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 Al Capone wasn't a study to me till later on when I partnered up, partnered up with Nick Nitty, his grandson. And uh, now, you know, I'm, I got John Nitty, who's still very close to me now, and his son. So I'm already five generations from Capone. So I, I have nothing to add to that at all. Capone was long gone when I went to California. I went to Chicago. All right. Next, we have a message from Donna. Donna says, every Tuesday evening, I start chomping at the bit, waiting for the latest podcast to air. I respect the fact that you, Gianni, and Pat, I think she's speaking to me, rarely speak poorly of someone who is still living. Megan, I don't know what your professional title is on the show, but Gianni made a wise choice of having you on. Hope you never run out of stories to share. Bless you all. Oh, that's nice. Thank you very, very much. Sweet. That's very nice. Everybody's so nice to us. I know. Thank you, Aunt Donna. I knew she was going to write that. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I, I, I never even asked you this question before because you reviewed a mailbag for us. Have we ever gotten any nasty emails? No. I mean, people always share their feelings about things and maybe they don't always agree with how we would present, whether it's current events or, you know, but we should put all, we should put all, everything well, I, on. I, I imagine we created uh, some uh, differences of opinion. For instance, when we talked about the central park five, exactly. I mean, things. I, I choose all messages that I think will have some value in being answered. You Wait. know, I don't always feel the need to share. Negative. Okay. Yeah, yeah. unless it's a, unless there's a question involved, then especially the ones from my ex-wives. But I go through <laughs> I go through hundreds of emails and I sort through them, and you know, not everyone makes it to air, whether it's good or bad. We'll say yeah. that. Okay. All right. Next one is from Jay. Jay says, "Hey guys, I'm writing to you from Sydney, Australia." I loved the book and really enjoyed listening to you guys on the podcast. I have a question for Gianni. Can you tell us any stories about your time in Australia and also any stories about Kerry Packer as he was such an influential person down here? Cheers. He's a great guy too, man. Kerry Packer was one of my customers. He basically stood at, at Caesars, um, probably one of the richest cattlemen from Australia, and he, and he made one of my cocktail waitresses extremely rich. And um, he used to, and they used to come to the club all the time and then go out gambling and he'd say, John, I want to take, uh, maybe I shouldn't say her name because she became rich because of him. And uh, I'll tell you, she was a cocktail waitress and her relationship with Carrie Packer between the Hilton Hotel and Caesars Palace, she bought a 120 unit apartment house <laughs> and never served cocktails again. No, I mean, wow. be, between me and I, I, my relationship is like, we, and nobody really knows who this guy is, but I mean, Kerry Packer is a major guy, I'm a, a cattleman from Australia. But between him and Rupert Murdoch, having them two as friends, you don't need anybody else over there. <laughs> if you want anything else about Australia, if, uh, if you haven't read the book, we have a whole chapter devoted to it. Bill Clinton makes oh. an appearance. Oh, my God. So those, Ooh. no, that 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 was uh, yeah, yeah. we yeah. got it covered. Yeah, that, that, that was Double Bay, Australia. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, they, it's totally that's a totally different relationship, which is I still treasure though. That 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 four days with Bill Clinton, and unfortunately, you know, the the ending of nine eleven was created at the end of those four days, but. Um, I, I I love Bill Clinton. I mean, let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is all I have for tonight. Well, another great show. Great show. And we want to thank all of you for the cards. And, and I keep saying cards and letters. Probably emails, however we get all this stuff. But it's a big component to our show. You could see we appreciate you doing it, sending it to us. We'll use them, as you know, and, 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 and entice other friends to send letters. And, and we'll do a show. Like you're saying, 
the people who are so interested in us doing a show about Sinatra concentrate on sending us what you'd like to know about Frank Sinatra. If I know it, we'll make a show out of it. Oh, yeah, we could do a whole question-based Sinatra Sinatra episode. That could be interesting. That sounds like a great idea. And we'll start doing that from other people, too. Perfect. I love it. All right. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Until next week, God bless you all. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be wrong. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here, announcing the release of the second book in the Ray Yale Private Investigator series titled Pop Line. In this outing, Yale journeys to Pennsylvania to help a deceased friend's sister who has been charged with the murder of her police officer husband. An outsider doesn't sit well with the local cops and Pittsburgh organized crime figures, which leads Yale down a treacherous path of deception, murder, and a crime so ingenious that it has never been duplicated in mystery fiction. Pop Line is available exclusively on Amazon.com.